0: Somebody spying on you through your home security system, tampering with your car, hacking your refrigerator? Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, managing editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. Along with the benefits of the Internet of Things, comes the heightened risk of cyber attack. We've already seen how hackers can take over thousands of Internet-connected devices to launch devastating attacks on supposedly secure websites. Government, business, and individuals are all susceptible. And it's no longer just about data breaches and stolen credit card numbers. Now we face the possibility of cyber terrorists controlling connected cars, planes, and even the nation's power grid. Today we'll get a sense of the scope of the problem in my conversation with Creighton Magid, partner and head of the D.C. office of the law firm of Dorsey & Whitney. He'll tell us why it's so important for manufacturers of interconnected devices to design them to better withstand cyber attacks. The current system of passwords isn't anywhere near secure enough. We'll find out what needs to be done. So here is my conversation with Creighton Magid. Chip Magid, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Bob. Good to be here. And good to have Dorsey and Whitney back as well. Thanks very much for your time. The issue of cybersecurity really came to the fore recently with a very serious distributed denial of service or DDoS attack that was in the news. And when you add that to the Internet of Things and the so-called universe of smart devices that we're seeing, what issues are you seeing that are rising with regard to security of these devices as a result of this new technology.
1: Well, you're seeing a lot of issues. The first is that the Internet of Things is now a gateway for anyone who wants to to wreak havoc on the Internet, whether they are state or non-state actors with a political agenda, whether they're hackers who just want to do something for fun, whether they're hacktivists, or as we've seen recently, even uh, short sellers of stock who want to potentially manipulate stock prices of, of companies that sell IoT devices to go in and and potentially create uh, great harm. We've seen attacks now, the uh, DDoS uh, attack that you mentioned the other day, which was traced back to home security devices, at least demonstrations of attacks on automobiles, the demonstration of attacks on medical devices. We haven't seen yet, thankfully, attacks on the power grid, but the security industry is very, very concerned about things of that nature happening.
0: And there are so many devices and items that are now being subject to the Internet of Things. I mean, we talk, one of the ones that keeps coming up is like home devices and appliances like refrigerators. Are we supposed to think that even something like that is a potential source of hacking? It could be used for some nefarious purposes? It
1: is. Depending upon what's in your device, as long as it's connected to the Internet, it's either the potential source uh, of an attack or a potential bot that uh, is unwittingly used in an attack, or the potential recipient of attack. So to take one example, cameras that that people install in their homes to uh, spot intruders or check in on the babysitter, the so-called nanny cam, can be used for a DDoS attack, as we saw last month. It potentially can be commandeered so that someone can be spied upon, and depending upon the device, it could even be used to hack other devices across the Internet.
0: Now, why are these devices vulnerable? Is it human laxity? Is it like poor passwords or even no passwords at all? Or is there something built into the design of the devices themselves that makes them vulnerable?
1: Well, it's a combination of things. Uh, In some cases, it is the user's failure to use a robust password. Common ones are the word password or 12345 or something of that nature. It, It doesn't take a hacker very long to figure out what that password might be. But in many cases, it is poor design or lacks passwords in the devices themselves. So going back to the DDoS attack, you spoke of earlier, it turns out that many of these home monitoring devices had factory set passwords that were just a chain of of numbers in sequence that could be easily determined And there are websites out there in which people can find a a listing and IP addresses of devices that do not have robust passwords. And so somebody with an Internet connection and a laptop can figure out where those are and, and start to do great damage.
0: You know, we've only been talking about the Internet of Things as such for just a few years now. It's still relatively new. And I'm wondering if in kind of the first blush of excitement over the technology, do you think that a lot of people underestimated the possibility of this happening? You know, that's possible,
1: and and, and it is important to keep things in context. There are a lot of devices out there, devices that do incredibly useful things. Uh, You don't have to have people going out on pipelines and manually turning valves. You can monitor things from afar. You get real-time information. Jet engine manufacturers can follow the performance of an engine while it's in flight and, and dictate maintenance schedules. There are a ton of benefits, but as these devices become more prevalent, it stands to reason that a few of them are are going to be attacked and and compromised. And I think in the past, people were a little bit blind to the the dangers that obtain with even common devices in the home.
0: Do you get a sense that this latest DDoS attack might have raised the consciousness of people about that, or is there still some uh, complacency that needs to be addressed?
1: Well. I'm not a social psychologist, so I'm not sure I'm the right person to to answer that. I think as more of these attacks occur, people are going to begin to be concerned about their personal security and about the devices in their home a little bit. I I was at a store the other day and they were selling cute little magnets to put over cameras on laptop computers, et cetera, so that somebody couldn't take control of the screen and and use the camera to to spy on the user. But I think in general, life kind of goes on. The real difference is I, I think manufacturers are beginning to wake up to the need to improve security all the way along the manufacturing process, along the supply uh, chain process, and to really think through how are you going to remedy problems if they pop up after a product is in the marketplace.
0: Well, what about on the user side? You chair Dorsey Whitney's products liability practice, as I understand it. You work with clients all the time on reducing liability risks and addressing federal regulations on such do you sense a raised consciousness among your clients and a greater concern over these issues?
1: I do it 's really coming from a couple of sources i mean the the first issue that that really caught everybody 's attention, of course, was data breaches. Everybody was looking at the theft of personally identifiable information, credit card information, health records, and so forth. Now, I think there 's a recognition that there are also sizable risks, not from stealing vast troves of information but manipulating devices in a way that could shut down a factory, turn off a pipeline, or cause a, a medical device to be used improperly. And now there is, is a great deal of attention being focused on those types of issues.
0: Now, one of the areas of greatest concern in cybersecurity cyber recently is automotive devices and cars in general, especially as we approach the age of the so-called self-driving vehicle. Tell me a little bit about what the U.S. National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, also known as NHTSA, recently did in terms of issuing these cybersecurity guidelines. What are they all about?
1: Uh, sure. Well, last month, NHTSA, as you mentioned, Bob, came out with industry guidance on cybersecurity. And a guidance document does not have the force of law. In other words, NHTSA doesn't have the ability to go issue fines or to, or some kind of penalty. Uh, for someone that doesn't follow the guidance. But it it nonetheless is an important document indicating to industry what NHTSA thinks automakers need to be doing in terms of Making cybersecurity a top priority throughout the design process, making sure that it is a top priority throughout the supply chain, making sure that there are mechanisms in place to thoroughly test cars for cyber vulnerabilities, and, and importantly, to make sure that because cars are so interconnected, that there is a means of addressing some hacking incident or, or some other vulnerability that's exposed after the car is marketed. You may recall that that last year Jeep Cherokees were recalled because there was a demonstration that showed that uh, researchers using a, a remote laptop could cut the uh, engine and and turn on the radio and the windshield wipers and, and take control of the car remotely. After that, the FBI issued an announcement uh, of the cyber risk. A couple of senators uh, jumped on the bandwagon and, and called for a greater emphasis, and, and NHTSA followed suit. And in that case, Chrysler had to have the cars either brought into a dealer or send out physical jump drives to allow people to patch the security flaw. Tesla, on the other hand, found it had a vulnerability in uh, one of its models and was able to deliver the patch wirelessly, just like a, a download to your your phone. And I think there's a great deal more attention being given now by automakers in terms of if a hack is inevitable, despite using top shelf designers making it a priority, if it's likely that, that uh, there's going to be a, some sort of a threat of a hack or a vulnerability being discovered, what do you do to solve the problem? with minimum inconvenience to the customer.
0: Well, here again, this issue of general awareness on the manufacturing level, I, I have to ask, if why would we even need NHTSA to say what seems to be so obvious? Is it actually the fact that these cars were originally designed by very, very smart people, very sophisticated systems, not fully realizing the potential for hacking into their systems, and only now they go, oh, well, maybe we ought to back up and do something about it. Did they actually not start out with that level of awareness?
1: I think there's something to that, Bob. A lot of us think of cars as as being purely physical objects. They they are, are tangible. They've got uh, axles and and wheels and uh, transmission and an engine and and doors and seats and so forth. and And over the years, they have really become rolling computers with all kinds of control devices throughout the car. And then you have people who are automotive designers, and they've got that covered. And someone comes in and says, well, how about an infotainment system that will allow the driver to place phone calls, Wi-Fi, get maps, get directions... and and viewed that as kind of a whole separate system that the rest of the designers maybe weren't paying much attention to And what people are beginning to realize is you you have to analyze not only the cyber vulnerability of each individual component, but you have to look at the car as a whole and say, can attack on one part of that be sequestered or are the rest of the systems vulnerable, Uh, which is why you need to take, uh, I hate to use the word holistic, but you do need to look at the entire ecosystem of the car or any other manufactured object to, to make sure that you minimize the cyber risk.
0: I guess that thinking back on all of the, the glitches and patches and security problems that all of our computer systems have had since the dawn of time, I'm probably a little bit naive to have asked that question in the first place, aren't I, in terms of thinking, well, why didn't they just perfect it before it even started? I guess it's just too complicated to address it uh, in that manner.
1: Well, I don't think it's a naive question at all. I mean, it goes to a couple of things. I mean, first of all, any of us in any industry think of things in a certain way and and often are blind to to something that's right in front of us. There was a study that came out a couple of years ago in which a bunch of eminent radiologists for a study were asked to, to look at some slides and see if they could spot the cancer cells. And the researchers placed a large gorilla in in the the image. And all these people who are great physicians spotted the cancer. They were very focused on finding that, and almost none of them spotted the gorilla. Uh, You know, I think that's a problem for all of us. It's a forest and trees problem. And I think there are people who are great at designing all kinds of products that maybe aren't as sophisticated in the cyber realm and think, well, that's a different department, that's a different group of people, and there is increasing awareness now that this has to be seamless. And and all aspects of a vehicle or a product need to be designed with cyber protections in mind.
0: Beyond simply pri- urging industry and designers to prioritize this issue in their design of autom- automobiles, what other salient points are in the NHTSA guidelines? I mean, how specific do they get? Do they stay very general or do they come up with very specific proposals as to how to achieve better cybersecurity within automobiles?
1: It's a great question. The, the guidance is fairly general. And I know that that has been a point of critique for a number of folks. Senator Markey's office, for example, we—that that is Senator Markey, has been trying to push through more specific standards uh, to make it part of federal law. The auto manufacturers, uh, through a consortium, has been trying to come up with certain standards. And, and I guess there's a certain feeling that NHTSA's guidance is too general to be useful. I'm not sure that that's a fair critique in that to get down into the nuts and bolts or in the the cyber world, the zeros and ones of how any particular car is designed would probably be a task that is too great for a guidance document and probably would be obsolete the minute it was issued. But I think it, it does make the point not only uh, on a human factors basis about making cybersecurity a a very, very high priority in the design process, but also emphasizing the types of testing that need to be done, penetration testing, for example, having an independent or outside set of experts take a a shot at the product. And and what I mean by that is you could have great designers and and cybersecurity experts in-house, which is terrific, but it always helps to have another set of eyes on a problem, bringing People in from the outside, bringing in uh, white hat hackers to see if they can hack the product, and and again the point we talked about earlier is since hackers are always looking for a vulnerability that no one else has spotted, is there a way to keep various vehicle systems separated from a possible point of attack? Or if they are compromised, is there a way to have redundancy or other protections so that the drivers are safe? And and then uh, finally, how do you deliver a patch or other fix? To the vehicle.
0: You mentioned in passing jet engines, which were one of the highest profile areas that were part of the initial Internet of Things movement just a few years ago. I know General Electric was very big on that. And the Internet of Things as it relates to jet engines was mostly in terms of reporting diagnostics and performance and design, stuff like that. But that does lead to a rather frightening question as to whether this could also affect aviation aircraft in general. Is that a concern as well? I mean, if we're talking about the possibility of controlling automobiles, why not planes as well? And if that's the case, are there corresponding standards or suggestions in the aviation area for cybersecurity protection as well?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. Anytime that there is an internet connection, there is at least a, a theoretical vulnerability so that not only are diagnostics being received from the airplane or from the train or from the power plant, but that commands could be sent the other direction, I think the questions that have to be raised I mean, first of all, although i 'm aware of no standards applying specifically to jet engines, for example, because of the high risk of a cyber attack on an object that that could free fall from the sky, I have to believe that in designing those systems, the cyber protections are are very, very good you 'd also have to say, all right, who's going to take the time to figure out if there's a vulnerability and What is their motivation for causing harm? You could understand if someone wanted to carry out a terrorist incident, maybe they would have the motivation, but then do they have the technical capability to work through the cyber defenses and even identify the component to be attacked? Uh, At the same time, I I think the people at the engine manufacturers in all industry have to be vigilant about new types of attacks and, and make sure that they can deliver patches to address those always bubbling up cyber threats.
0: How much do you worry about a cyber attack on the nation's power grid, which has the most devastating potential of any really type of uh, cyber attack that one can think of?
1: I think it is worrisome. And I know that the federal government and the security apparatus is very concerned about this and has been working with industry to come up and and beef up protections. I, I think the cyber grid was probably far more vulnerable a year or two ago than it is today, but I know there's room for improvement. And that is something where a lot of attention is is being focused because, as you pointed out, the consequences of of an intrusion could be uh, catastrophic.
0: And then just to bring this back down to earth, to the consumer level, if I'm a consumer contemplating purchasing a home appliance uh, or some kind of security system or something that does have some connection to the Internet or the Internet of Things, I'm assuming there's no central information clearinghouse or the equivalent of consumer reports or somewhere I could go to find out whether this particular manufactured item is known to be relatively safe or not safe. Is there a place where consumers can go for information on individual items and purchases today with regard to cybersecurity protection?
1: That's an interesting question. I'm not aware of a, a single source site for, for somebody to get that information, although there are various federal agencies that do have information about cyber vulnerabilities, including the Federal Trade Commission and the Consumer Product Safety Commission. I think if, if one simply Googles the name of the product, information both accurate and inaccurate is, is uh, likely to pop up. But I think the bigger issue is that you've you raised implicitly is how is a consumer going to know whether there is a a huge vulnerability? Obviously, you could do a quick Google search and see if something has been singled out as being particularly vulnerable. A lot of this, uh, it would be very hard for a consumer to know whether there was a vulnerability or not. So the bigger issue for a consumer is, do you need the device? Do do you have it connected to the internet at all times? If there's a camera, can you shut it off or can you cover it when you don't want it uh, to be used? And if there's a password that you as the consumer can be set, you want to be sure that you put in a very, very robust password.
0: Well, I guess the final message is that we all need to be more vigilant on the manufacturing side, on the consumer use side, and in every way possible with respect to anything that relates to the internet or communicates with the internet today. But Chip Magid, I want to thank you so much for helping to give us a perspective on this crucial issue and maybe some ideas about where it might be going in the future. Thank you so much for being with us today.
1: Thank you, Bob, for having me. It's been a pleasure.
0: That was my conversation with Attorney Creighton Magid of Dorsey & Whitney, talking about the threat of cyber attacks on the Internet of Things. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes,